Test. Do you want to hear some teaching from the Lord today? Jamal, do you? I wasn't sure what you were saying there. So Steve mentioned distractions. And there are many in here today for some reason. Distractions don't go away. You got to take control of your thoughts and not be distracted. So if you really want to hear something from the Lord today, the distractions probably won't go away. You got to discipline your mind to focus on what's being said. It's on you. You can't blame it on the distractions. You can overcome the distractions. So we always begin with a review. Last week was Acts 22, 22 all the way into 23, 11. The title was The Saga Continues, Part 2. And the saga, of course, was the narrative of mob violence, unrest against the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem. We exegeted the passage. You should have learned now what that huge theological word exegeted means. It just simply means we give the facts of the narrative, we make some commentary on those facts, and we look for relevant application. We pull out points that we can ponder. And today, there will be at the end, the application, three points for us to ponder. They're not directly related to the passage. They're indirectly related, and we're pulling them out. There are some things that I think, some issues that God wants to address with the church. And those three points to ponder will be at the end for the application. Maybe a bit of an ouch in there. When we look at those application statements. The application actually came last week from observing how the Apostle Paul handled himself in his life situation, his circumstance. Well, in this case, I don't think any of us have faced this. It was an angry mob threatening to kill him. It was a Roman guard who, the Roman guards who were going to lash him to death with whips. That's what he was facing. Those were his circumstances. What are your circumstances? What situations are you facing? But what we noted with some surprise, at least it was for me, it was the th- in the midst of that situation, an angry mob trying to kill him, Roman guards trying to kill him, it was in the midst of that situation that what the things that Paul said and did were the things that controlled the narrative. Now, I want you to really think about this because it's important for us. It ends up in that set of situations and circumstances in which he found himself. Paul was more in control than the mob or the guards. It was Paul that was controlling the situation. That's so huge for us. Paul brilliantly, strategically, masterfully, masterfully, matriculated his way through his adversity and his difficulty. And then we were reminded of the words of Jesus. Look, don't be surprised. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes, be as harmless as doves. And Paul had found himself himself among the wolves. And believers today are more and more finding ourselves among the wolves as sheep among the wolves. Many in our ungodly culture 
Many in our society today which has turned away from God no longer have any affinity for Christianity. They no longer have any affinity for our God. They no longer have any affinity for our values. We're finding ourselves more and more as sheep among the wolves. It was always that way, but it's so much more so that way today. So we asked an obvious question, how then are we to matriculate our way in this cultural environment? How are we to balance love? We're called to love even our enemies, right? But how are we to balance love and not compromising truth or God's word or condoning sin? What a fine line to walk. And we're finding it more and more difficult. We're finding ourselves on that fine line more and more often. Is that right? Where should I say this or should I do that? How are we to balance this fine line? Jesus knew that his followers would be in this exact spot. So he taught them, look, you're going to be sheep among wolves in the world. Be as shrewd as snakes. Be as harmless as doves. The thought in his words was this to his early disciples. You are or we are to be the master of, not the victim of, our circumstances. Yeah, I know we said that last week, but I'm wondering how many of us really acted that out this week. How many of us actually succumbed to our circumstances this week? Steve, <laughs> since you already admitted it, we'll use you. I love this thought. What a confidence booster. We're to be the master of, not the victim of, our circumstances. All through Scripture. God's people are admonished to be strong, to be bold, to be confident, to be courageous. Actually, very courageous. Because our Father knew that we would be easily tempted to the opposite of those things. We would be easily tempted to get discouraged. We'd be easily tempted to get disappointed, fearful, shaken, intimidated by the things that we would face as his people in this world. Be strong, be bold, be confident, be courageous, be very courageous. You're going to be sent out as sheep among wolves. A word of encouragement. Believers, we are not to be living at the whim of, we're not to be tossed, and tossed to and fro by, and we're not to be defeated by life circumstances. But we often are. But we're not to be. By and through the power of the Lord that is now available to us because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we are the victors, not the victims. We are the victors in our circumstances, not the victims. Oh, so that means everything's going to go good for me from now on. No. There'll be adversity. There'll be trials and tribulations. There's going to be temptation. But in the midst of all of that, all the downside of life, we can be the victors, not the victims. It's on us. Just like you with distractions. You can get distracted today or you can discipline your thoughts to listen. Next slide. I want to add one verse to last week's review. This is new. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword, or whips, angry mobs, Roman soldiers, Pharisees, Sadducees, civil authorities, an ungodly culture, an ungodly society that has turned away from God and his ways, intent on ridding our land of all religion, especially Christianity. Can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, and you say the bold, in all these things we are... All right, that's about maybe 10% of the congregation. So 10% of our congregation are conquerors. Well, we're in big trouble. Let's try it again, see if we can get at least close to 100. In all these things, we are... That sounds like the church that the Lord's looking for. We're to go forth into the mission, church, in strength, in boldness, in confidence, in courage, very courageous. And we are the victors, not the victims. Again, disclaimer, make sure you hear me. That doesn't mean everything's going to go right for you. But in the midst of the wrong, you're the victor, not the victim. That can change many things, including at times the circumstances. By Paul not just giving in, oh, woe is me, take me home, Lord. He began to control the situation. He spared his own life twice so that he could get to Rome and tell other people about Jesus. We're the victors, not the victims. We're not saying this is easy. We are saying it is true. Today's message. Marie, you've been waiting patiently. Thank you. Will you come to the mic? Ray's going to read instead? Okay. We want Marie. We want Marie. We want Marie. <laughs> Ray, we love you, but we want Marie. I know I'm uglier, but <laughs> I love the Lord. He loves the Lord. That's true, too. You know the verses, Acts 23, 12 through 22. I hope so. Good and loud, right into the mic. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priest and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sandrians, petition the commander to bring him before you onto the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander and said something to, to tell him. He has something to tell him. 
So he took him to the commander. The sentry and said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you. Take, excuse me. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand and drew him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, Some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Centurion tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give him, don't give in to him, because more than 40 of them are waiting to ambush and ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with the warning, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called the two centurions and ordered them, get ready, a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Centuria at nine tonight. Ray, I know you love to read the word, but you're beyond the passage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you may be seated. Thank you, Ray. We may have been here all day. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. So from the verses that Ray read, the title of the sermon is The Plot. This is a very straightforward account of what happens in this continuing saga, Paul in Jerusalem. He's trying to get to Rome, you know, but he's seemingly thwarted on every turn. We ended last week with Paul receiving a word from the Lord directly, assuring him he was going to get to Rome eventually. He was to give his testimony in Rome as he had in Jerusalem. What God didn't tell Paul were the details of how he would get to Rome or how long it was going to take. Just side note for us. It's a funny thing about prophetic words. They contain God's heart and his mind for us, but not many details. Have you ever found that out? You get God's heart, you get his mind, but you don't get many details. He knew he was to go to Rome, but we're going to find out as we read all that he has to go through to end up finally getting to Rome. He wasn't expecting any of this in Jerusalem. These were all details God conveniently left out of the word, you will go to Rome. It seems that we have to walk out the details of prophetic words as they occur. We often don't know the details beforehand. So, the plot established, verses 12 through 15, just explains the plot. The next morning, a group of Jews got together. They bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. 
They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. So you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend that you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. Nothing new under the sun, is there? Jewish radicals, zealots, today we would label them terrorists. They hatched this plot to kill Paul. And they were not going to let it rest until they got their way. There's a good chance some of these guys, some of these Jews, they had been following Paul around since his first missionary journey, raising havoc and causing trouble. And now they're in Jerusalem, intent to kill him. We have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. They were colluding with the Jewish high priest and Ananias, the one who had Paul slapped last week. They were colluding with him, and they were tricking, trying to trick the Roman guards into bringing Paul back to court, and they would ambush him on the way, take him out. So here's an off-the-cuff point that I want to make. Are you listening? Sucks to be them. Do you know why? I mean, seriously, you don't want to be a part of that 40. Think about it. God had already given Paul the word that he was going to get to Rome alive. God had already decreed that. And he had already assured Paul that. So if these guys actually keep their vow, guess what? They're going to starve to death. And they're not going to get Paul because God said they're not. They're in big trouble. And here's another thing. The word used here for oath, we have taken an oath in the Jewish culture and religion was a word that means, may God judge us harshly. May God judge us with the direst of consequences if we fail to accomplish our vow. Sucks to be them. That's a head shaker. Why would you even do that? When will folks learn? You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. You don't want to be on the wrong side of what God is saying. You don't want to be on the wrong side of what God is doing. Brothers and sisters, we want to be in line with what God is saying, in line with what God is doing, not on the wrong side of what God is doing. So here's a point for us to ponder, and it's not directly related. It's indirectly related related to this text. It's a principle we can pull out of this text. Now, the Jewish zealots are on the negative side of this principle. We want to pull it out from a positive side. Be very careful when making vows or taking oaths. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Now, we don't often even use the words vows or oaths much anymore, but stay tuned here. This applies to any verbal commitment we make. I'll be there. 
I'll do that. You can count on me. Yeah, I'm committed. I'm in. I'd never do that. And what we often mean today anymore is, you know, I'll follow through on that commitment unless, of course, something comes up that I would rather do. Or if when that time comes, I don't really feel like it anymore, I just won't do it. We take that stuff so lightly. God does not. God takes it very seriously. It's better not to commit than to commit and not follow through. And we have a society that is, does not understand commitment and is living for themselves not to fulfill their commitments. Ouch. It's better not to commit to something than to commit and not follow through. Now, I want to quickly give us a disclaimer. God's intention here in, in informing us of this is not because he wants less commitment. I'm not going to commit now, man, in case I don't want to follow through. Now I'm, I'm done. Well, that's not what God's after. What God's after is he wants to gain more commitment, more follow through from his people. You know, back in the day, you've heard it said, a man was as good as his word. That is not true anymore. Yeah, we'll settle this with a handshake, and it's good. That is not true anymore. you got to have 50 lawyers and read all the fine print. If, we're, if we say we're going to do something, we need to do it. If we say we're going to be there, we need to be there. If you make a commitment, then no show, no, show, no call is not acceptable for God's people. If you made a commitment, no show, no call is not acceptable. Needs to be repented of. It's sin. Scripture actually speaks a lot about this topic. It could be a sermon on its own, but we're going to move on. We have two more points to make. The plot exposed. We looked at the plot established. Now we're looking at the plot exposed. Paul's nephew, he heard of their plan. He went to the fortress. He told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. Paul's nephew somehow found out about the plan and went and told his uncle. You don't usually think of the apostle Paul as an uncle, do you? But he had a sister that lived in Jerusalem, and this was her son. Paul then had one of the Roman officers take his nephew to the commander. The plot is about to be exposed. The officer took the boy. That's what it means by the officer did, explaining, Paul asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, what is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get more information. They are hiding along the way. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. Now the plot is fully exposed. And just a quick, by the way, how about the bravery of this young boy? Commentators believe he was about 13, maybe, 15, definitely early teens. And unfortunately, there's no more mention of him or Paul's sister or any others of Paul's family after this. They appear on the scene. God uses them. They're gone. So this is actually the end of the narrative. 
You have to tune in. We'll have to tune in next week to see where this goes from here. Are, is the ambush going to work? Are they going to get him? Well, you already know God said it's not. But we want to close with points and principles from this passage. Something I think God wants to address with us, the church. Like the point about the vow, it's better not to vow than to vow. It's better to vow Thank you. Better not to vow than make a vow and break it. Thank you. But just like that point, this is not going to be directly from the passage. It's going to be indirectly from the narrative. We've already talked about this recently, uh, weeks and months ago, but God's going to bring it up again, and it's kind of an ouch. God is going to address secret sin. Secret sin can no longer remain secret among God's people. Not in the serious times in which we're entering. Hidden sin can no longer remain hidden. Hidden. Hidden sin can no longer remain hidden. It will be exposed. It must be dealt with. We must deal with it. Better if we deal with it than he has to deal with it. There's too much chance for harm and hindrance to ourselves, and to the mission if we don't deal with secret, hidden sin in our lives. We're going to go back to the book of Numbers, way back in the Old Testament for this principle. If you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure. Put those distractions away. You may be sure. Your sin will find you out. Much better if we deal with it first so God doesn't have to expose it. And by the way, don't be sitting there thinking someone else you know should be hearing this. Maybe they do need to hear it, but you're here and God is addressing you. And he's addressing me. See, mankind, and unfortunately many believers too, mankind thinks we can sin in secret. The truth of the matter is there are unseen eyes all around you. There are unseen eyes all around you. Psalm 139.12, even the darkness will not be dark to you, O Lord. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. Another version says, even the darkness will be as light to you. Simply meaning nothing is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Like it or not, we cannot hide anything from God. Plots, plans, Laid in secret, like in today's passage, the ambush, they're completely and uncovered, exposed before God. God and his angels that are assigned to us, they see everything we do. And this is probably worse. It can be rightfully argued, Satan and his demons do also. There's unseen eyes all around us at all times. 
There's even a cloud of witnesses of saints that have died before us that are watching us. You can't sin in secret. You can't hide anything from God. Thank God. He's so merciful to us that he hasn't exposed us. And he keeps Satan from exposing us until sometimes it gets to the point if the unconfessed willful sin is not dealt with, God has to allow it to be exposed, whether he does it himself or he allows Satan to expose it. But he has to allow it to be exposed because it has to be dealt with because he loves us so much he can't sit back and watch this sin destroy us and hinder his work. Don't toy with secret sin. Don't toy with sin at all. I don't know why I keep putting the adjective secret there. Because I know there's things we do and we know nobody, nobody else really knows about that. And we hide it. Maybe that's why I'm using secret. But don't even toy with sin at all these days. The margin for error, the level of God's mercy is rich, but it runs its course and God has to deal with it. Two rather pronounced biblical illustrations of this point, both from the Old Testament. Heard of a man named Achan? Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant, said the Lord. They have stolen some of the things I commanded must be set apart for me, and they have not only stolen them, they've lied about it, and they've hidden the things among their own belongings. This passage is the Lord speaking to Joshua, who is now the nation's leader after Moses had died. And he commanded when they go in and conquer, there are certain things that are supposed to be brought back and set apart for the Lord. And the people were not to take them for their own plunder. There were things they could take, and there were things they could not take. Well, Achan, like so many of us, thought he needed to take something that he wasn't supposed to take. Then he took it back to his tent, and he dug a hole in his tent, and he hid it in his tent. He lied about it. He hid the things. He hid his sin. Problem is... God knew about it. God informed Joshua, the leader of the camp, and his leaders, and Achan was swiftly and harshly punished. Lost his life. Capital punishment was alive and well in the nation Israel, and it was approved by God. Be sure your sin will find you out. Second illustration, and this is really bizarre. Let's just read the verse and then explain. 2 Kings 6, 12. It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the, prophecy, in the privacy of your bedroom. There's unseen eyes watching us all the time. This is a bizarre story. In Elijah's day, Israel's enemies were plotting attacks on the nation. But every time they laid a plan, they couldn't figure out how Israel seemed to preempt the plan and be there waiting for them and destroy them. 
So if they found out somehow, one of the officers said, my lord, the king, I can tell you what's happening. Israel's God is telling Israel's prophets exactly what you're planning, even in the secret chambers. And then the prophets are going to the king and the military is there waiting for you. That's what was happening. You can't hide anything from God. You can't sin in secret. Be sure your sin will find you out. Nothing is hidden from God. So what's the conclusion? What's the application for us today? We had several points to ponder. I'll I'll sum them up for us as we close. And they're not really related. They're just three things for us to think about. Maybe one of them's hitting you. Maybe two, maybe three, maybe all of them. Or maybe all of them. One, two, or three, or all of them. We are victors over, not victims of our circumstances. It is better not to commit than to commit and not follow through. And be sure your sin will find you out. Nothing is hidden from God. I have one thing I want to say yet before we actually close. If you are aware of secret sin, if you have become aware that, man, I, I could be in trouble with God here, I want to give you the out. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess is exactly the opposite of cover up or hide. It means to admit and to acknowledge. If we'll simply admit to God, I've sinned. I wonder if it would have went any different for Achan if he would have owned up to his sin. What if he would have went to them and said, man, Joshua, I realize I have put the whole nation. And by the way, here's another point. I don't have it in my notes. You don't sin in a vacuum. Your sin affects others whether you like it or not. The nation Israel, after taking Jericho in a marvelous victory, marched up against a little town named Ai with diminished troops because they thought they were going to have no problem, and Israel was soundly defeated. The reason Israel was defeated was because of Achan's sin. God could not bless Israel at that time, not until the sin was taken care of. So your sin hurts other people, whether you like it or not. It usually hurts the ones you love most. Confess your sin. Don't hide it. You're back in right standing with God. You're pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. Confess your sin. Don't hide it. Admit it. Acknowledge it to him. And then experience forgiveness and cleansing. And there's nothing like that. Confession and forgiveness is so much rewarding, so much of a rewarding experience than hiding and struggling to conceal your sin. It's like once you tell one lie, and if you don't correct that, it leads to another lie. And next thing you know, you're embroiled in a mesh of lies. That's the way sin, sin gets in and takes an inch, and the next thing you know, it has a yard. And the next thing you know, it has your life. Again, God has said this to us many times recently. We need to get serious about this. The ones who became Christians in Ephesus became serious about being Christians. That's a word for the church today. Are you professing to be a Christian? Then get serious about being a Christian. The wiggle room for mercy is getting smaller 
and smaller. The margin for error is getting smaller and smaller in these days. It has to because God needs a church that's where it needs to be to do what he wants to do in these days ahead. One more verse, then we're done. This, I think, was King David, Psalm 32. You know, he, he committed a horrible sin, and he tried to hide it for a year. And God sent one of his prophets and pointed his sin out to him. And this is one of the statements David made. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Joe, you're up. Joe's going to come and pray. We're going to stand with him. Uh, Sonny and Donna had to leave. The band decided we won't play after the message, so Ron has two songs for us, and then we'll be dismissed. So once Joe's done praying, please remain standing. We have two songs. Probably after the first song, I'll come up and say something to dismiss us, and then an out-the-door song. Joe, right into the mic. Raise that mic and speak into it. Dear Father, we just come to you today and we just, first of all, want to thank you for the message and for the worship that led us into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father God, we just pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to be with us as we leave this yes, building. Yes, Lord. That he will be showing us clarity when it comes to our circumstances and our distractions, Father. That we will overcome those distractions with the help of the Holy Spirit because he is our counsel. He is our comforter. And, Father, I just ask that we'll walk in victory because we know that God is Jehovah Nisi, our banner in victory. And in his name we pray. Amen.